I guarantee you, I'm going to regret this. I guarantee you. <laughs> and by, there, by this, we are recording. <laughs> yes, we're recording this episode at 12:35 a.m. Mountain Time. I have Bishopric meeting in six hours, and I'm angry. I'm angry, and I guarantee. I just want to put a disclaimer first. Whatever I say. I will probably walk back on Monday or Tuesday after I've had a chance to focus on the Lord tomorrow, focus on the gospel, take a breather, take a break, and think my thoughts through. But right now, I am freaking hot. Get get it all out. Get it all out. You don't want to take this with you to church tomorrow. Leave it all out on the on the airwaves here. Yes. Welcome to episode six of North and Goal. Could not be a more polar freaking opposite episode today. No, wh- you have Benji, Alaska, Utah, who's glowing right now you should see his I face know. and me who is angry i can't stop smiling i've been smiling all day and and I, well i'll take that back I, I didn't smile the whole time through the utah game that i mean i i thought covey might be dead at one point in time and you can't smile through that so i stopped smiling a few times during the utah game but other than that this has been one of the greatest sports days i can remember in the last decade in fact i'm going to go ahead and take out the maybe the last decade of BYU football, this is number one. This stands alone as the best BYU football day in the past 10 years, and I love it. I don't blame you, man. I watched your game, and you guys literally looked like the better team from start to finish. You went into a top five freaking team's backyard, and you dominated them. I mean, the stats looked made it look closer than it was. It wasn't. It ne- To me, in fact, I texted a friend. I was watching the game, and the second quarter said, BYU's going to win this in the second quarter. It just felt that way. You were the better team, and you should be yeah. You should be glowing. Yeah. No, sometimes you go in as an underdog, and you think, all right, we got to have a few things happen. we got to get the breaks. You know, the officiating, uh, BYU got one key break from the officials, but they had two or three go against them, uh, and they did have one trick play, but on that that wasn't a fluke. That was a trick play that I love this. I tweeted this out. It was named Bucky. This was something they introduced this week in practice because the coaches scouted out a specific weakness. So that's not a fluky trick play like the kind of trickery that underdogs tend to rely on when they're underdogs. This was brilliant. This was I remember for years and years and years, Coach Witt would do stuff like this. They would they do an onside kick in the third quarter, and after postgame, he'd say, yeah, we saw it on film. We thought we could do it, so we did it. And I, I, I envied that and thought, man, that is I just love that BYU did that. Yeah, it was it was perfectly timed. It was uh it was nicely run and yeah, man, you should be you should be thrilled right yeah. now. Let's get back to your this the, the format of this, usually we go all Utes, all Cougars. Let's just go back and forth here. I like this uh juxtaposition. Okay. I'll of handle emotions. my stuff, you handle your stuff. Okay? Go for it. I'll handle my stuff, you handle your stuff. Yeah. First of all, I cannot freaking tell you how angry I am right now. This is the freaking Tenth year in a row where our offense is terrible. We have never been higher than ninth in the Pac-12 in offense ever. And it doesn't matter what coordinator we bring in. It's the same crap every single freaking year. So where does it stop? I'll tell you where it stops. It's Kyle Whittingham's fault. Listen, he is a good defensive coach. He is He's a, a good coach, but he just can't freaking coach offense. I was thinking about this. Listen, I want to be a billionaire. I yeah. really do. I, I, I'm trying to be a billionaire. I've started businesses. Some have been successful. Some have failed. I really want to be a billionaire, but I can't figure it out, and I doubt I ever will. I doubt I'll ever be a billionaire because I don't know how to get there. Kyle Whittingham knows the offense sucks, but he'll never figure it out because he doesn't know how to fix it. it every quarterback we bring in, they start out pretty good their freshman year, then they get worse and worse and digress. You look at freaking John, or you look at 
Jordan Wynn. He had a great freshman year, and then he got terrible. You look at Travis Wilson. He had a promising freshman year, and then he got he got worse. You look at Troy Williams. He started great, and then he ended terrible. Tyler Huntley's going the same freaking path. Mm. The rest of the quarterbacks are. But he started pretty good his freshman year, looked pretty good, and he's regressing, and he looked terrible tonight. It, Not only that did he look terrible, his receivers looked terrible. He put the receivers in terrible positions. Britton Covey, like you said, he's going to get freaking decapitated yeah. at some point this season if he keeps doing what he's doing. No, I, I think they need to take a really close look at the passing game as a whole because you're right. They pointed this out a couple years back in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady, probably greatest quarterback, if not one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, is he is a magician at his receivers trust him. If the ball is in the air, the receiver knows I will not get hit if I go that direction. And that's a hard thing to do, to say, let's do what the greatest quarterback of all time does. But when you watch him do that, there is a trust between the the quarterback and the receivers. That was not that. I thought, man, if I was a receiver out there and Troy Huntley was throwing that, I'd maybe have to, like, you know, mark more where the ball is with my eyes and then take a good look all around the field, make sure I'm clear, and then go try and find the ball again because he was leading them into the worst spots on the field. Dude, and Covey's a little fella, man. And he's he's going up against 250-pound safeties that will destroy him and good hit on him. Listen, I'm not asking for Tom Brady. I'm not. I'm asking for a sufficient freaking offense to pair with our defense once in a while. Yeah. It is the same crap every year. We have a good defense, and we put out a subpar, terrible offense. They can't pull their end of the bargain, man. I mean, Washington, we held them to 21 points and 320 yards. Yeah. That's pretty freaking good. Yeah. That's pretty good. For the best team in the Pac-12 right. to hold them to 320 yards, that's great. But we have an offense that can't get out of their own way, fumbling after catching it, drop balls. Mm-hmm. And how about this? How about how about that after that interception oh and he's running in the end zone oh and it goodness. freaking pops out of his hand? Fine. He's a lineman. I'll forgive him for that. But when you get the ball on the 11-yard line yeah. and you can't freaking punch it in yeah. and your fourth down play call is a little swing pass out to the flat to the to the tight end and you throw it 200 miles an hour? Yeah. Give me a break. Yeah. I'm so angry. It is so inept, this offense. It is ridiculous. I do not know how long it can freaking go on like this. Why is it this way every freaking year? The problem with that play is there's so many moving parts. You can look at the top. You can say, why was Troy Taylor thinking that's the thing to do? You can look at, at Huntley and say, why did you throw it that hard? You can look at the receiver and say, it hit you in the freaking hands. You know, you, there's a lot of blame to go around. But the thing with plays like that is when it works, you say, that was beautiful because everyone was thinking run. Everybody was expecting the run, so we caught him sleeping. Well, it, it doesn't always work. But you know that's all hindsight. And dude, I mean, let's 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 be honest for one second. We have a legit twelve hundred yard running back yeah. on our roster who last week got sixteen carries, and Kyle Whittingham's first comment was he didn't get enough carries. So what happens this week? Thirteen freaking carries. Thirteen carries yeah. for a running back that's averaging six yards a carry and is built like a brick house. That is not okay. That is not okay. That is a reason we have never been higher than ninth in the Pac-12 in offense. Here's here's a couple things on that back and forth because I've just been following a little bit of this. Witt post game said he's not 100. percent He was just impressed with the effort he gave because most guys wouldn't have even suited up. And so you say, okay, sounds like an excuse. It does. He's out there. Give him the ball. Right. Well, he averaged six yards of carry in this game, injured or not. Six yards of carry, and he got it 13 times. I don't care if he's injured. He was effective when he got but it. The, but the obvious comeback to that too is. How many great quarterbacks, or not quarterbacks, how many great running backs does Utah have? Shine's not terrible. 
the other uh, Devontae Cole or you know the other one. No, he's redshirting. He's redshirting. Brumfield oh, okay. and TJ Green. There's still there's four guys that could carry the rock. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. That that there's no excuse. That is an excuse, and I and I I don't accept it. I'm sorry. That's garbage. Yeah. No, I uh, yeah, that was that was hard to watch. I do feel like uh, just the three games in perspective, Utah once again played good enough that they would have beat a bad team, you know. And it would it would have been closer than it would have been. It would have been you know just last week over again. They didn't play good enough to beat number ten team in the nation. Washington's good. They they didn't look great, but Utah's defense doesn't let anybody look great. Utah's got That's a good what I'm defense. Saying. So. We- we got a defense that will keep us in any game. I mean, that I, – I just – I'm so – dude, I'm at a loss for words, man. I mean, and, and when, when Huntley was delivering the ball on target, people were dropping it. Or when he wasn't delivering on target, he was throwing 20 yards out of bounds over their head. There was, there was one drive where we had the ball, and it was second and two at like the 48, and so then they run some little outplay, and he throws it – 10 yards out of bounds overhead, and then the next play on third and two, rather than giving it to our 1,200-yard NFL running back, they call a draw play where Huntley runs up the middle and gets knocked back, and we have to freaking punt. Give the ball to Moss. Feed him the ball. You know, Washington brought a very physical defense. And, I mean, that was we've mentioned this a few times. That was very apparent with the way the receivers were getting hit. But some of the hits Huntley was taking, I mean, he, there was only a few times you saw guys get open in space and say, okay, they're actually getting decent chunks of yardage. Washington was quick on them, and they were physical. I mean, they, they stifled anything Utah tried. Yeah, no, I mean, Washington, is, they're, 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 I mean, there's a reason they've, they've won – they won, you know, been in the playoffs two years ago. They won their ranked top fifteen for the last three or four years. They're a good team, but the fact is, we have a defense that's Pac twelve, that's top twelve level, top level Pac twelve defense that will keep us in that. I can't imagine one day if we could just pair a competent offense with them. I don't want Oregon of two thousand, you know, ten through fourteen. I don't want freaking the Boise States of the of the early 2000s I want a competent offense that's all I'm asking just, for just one that average. is fourth and two yeah. you don't roll out and throw a bullet off your tight your freshman tight end's hands yeah. just a freaking competent offense is that too much to ask Kyle winning has getting paid over three million dollars a year put an offense on the field that can compete in this league and dude Back to your guys. Back to you guys. Okay. Yeah. As I'm watching your, your offense, one thing I love about it is it plays to the strengths of your team. You know, yeah. it's not yeah. like us who are trying to put some spread offense together when we don't have the the athletes and the wide receivers that can catch the freaking ball. Like yours is just like it seems like it's it's got purpose to it, mm-hmm. and you know what you're trying to do, and everything seems to be setting up for something else. Yeah. You know, yeah. like your your little jet sweeps. You ran a ton of those early on. Yeah. But you know what it did? It it made what Wisconsin defense have to follow uh, Hefo down the line, which opened up the middle for Squally Canada to go for 40 yards yeah. in the middle. Oh, it's a thing of beauty. And and I actually was going to cut in and transition when you mentioned Huntley throwing it out of bounds because I want to say this. Last week I said we were comparing okay, BYU's last marquee win was Max Hall beating number three Oklahoma. Neutral field, which was more their, I mean, Oklahoma to Dallas isn't that far, but still technically a neutral field game where where this one against number six uh, away game, definitely, you know, in their backyard. And, and I had said last week that good Tanner is as good as, if not better than good Max. Bad Tanner is far worse than bad Max. What we saw today was decent Tanner, and I loved him for it because there were two or three plays where he'd get 
he'd get the happy feet, he'd dance around a little bit, he'd leave the pocket, and he'd chuck it out of bounds, like way out of bounds. And I'd say, oh, Tanner, you know, a good quarterback, good Max Hall, you, you, you're the hero. You look for that threading the needle pass that you can make, and Tanner didn't do that at all. And it's frustrating to watch him do that when you say, why would you launch it out of bounds with that much, you know, no one was near you, you had a few more seconds. He didn't blow the game for us, and I love him for that. And I, it's people, Dude, people talk about game managers all the time versus good quarterbacks. I love that he managed the heck out of that game. He kept BYU in the game by not doing anything stupid. Two things, two things to that point. One, the whole game manager tag, which is what Alex Smith has followed yeah, him around. Yes. Even though he's been a 15-year NFL starter, right? Yes. I would commit genocide to get Alex Smith on this freaking U team. I cannot believe oh, yeah, yeah. how badly I would love to freaking have him. Okay, anyway, back to your point about Tanner. There was one play that, that brings up your point exactly that won you that game. When it's tied 21-21, it's third down. He's wrapped up in the backfield. He can't take a sack because it gets you out of field goal range, right? Right. He breaks it and throws it out of bounds, right? Yeah. He did not take the sack. He threw it away, which kept you in field goal range, which got His, you the game-winning that, field goal. That spin move, too, if it's the same play I'm thinking of where he kind of broke the tackle spinning and a little – that's the most athletic I've seen him. He's not a <laughs> graceful – you know, he's not the Steve Young or the, the guy that's just going to dance around defenders. But he it was a thing of beauty on that play. It was great. Yeah, man, it was. Uh, th- I mean, that literally, if he if he had gotten sacked, you would have been out of field goal range. Yeah, and then either had to punt or or kick some fifty eight yarder and, and miss it, and then uh, you know, and then it's it's going to overtime. But that, I mean, literally, yeah. that that's the most un- unheralded play in that game is he avoided the sack and threw it out of bounds to that keep you guys in field goal range. Beautiful. Speaking of field goals, I want to touch on this because this cannot go unspoken. The first timeout uh, Kalani Satake took. When it's like, okay, what are you doing? You've got three timeouts, and if they make it, you're tied up with 40 seconds. Three timeouts gets you all the way down the field. I liked it when it happened because the defense was gassed, and he mentioned post game. He said Corbin Kafusi was just sucking air. I mean, he was winded. And say, okay, well, Corbin Kafusi, he is a big guy, he's an athletic guy. That's not a, a just a prayer of saying, let's have Corbin block it. Corbin can block it. So to take the first time out saying, let's give Corbin a chance to catch his breath, let's give this field goal our best shot we've got, I love it. And then he takes the second one, and I look at him like, okay, this isn't about getting our players there catching their breath anymore. He is playing the head game. He's getting in this kicker's head. And then what I love the most of all is that he didn't take the third one because if you're the kicker, when it's you're a yeah, you're th- it, yeah, you're walking up to the ball thinking, well, I guess this is it. You know, rather if you use all three, the kicker knows this is definitely it. So to use two of the three and not use a third, I thought, man, and that's why I tweeted out on all caps, Kalani Satagi, you beautiful genius. That was just it, the way it worked. And the way I mean, it was like I was feeling his decisions every time. In fact, I was yelling before the third one. I'm like, don't use this one, don't use this one, don't use this one. And he didn't, and it got in the kicker's head, and hey. It was a great day, great game. And and here, I genuinely mean this. Kalani Sitake was my favorite assistant coach in, in when he was at Utah. I loved his personality. I loved his, his, his style of defense. He, um, you know, he may not have been as effective as, say, Gary Anderson was as his defense coordinator, but he was my favorite coach because I loved him. So I'm genuinely, 
genuinely happy for him mm-hmm. because he has had so much flack thrown on him. Oh, yeah. And for a lot of things that he couldn't control because if it is true that Ty Detmer was forced upon him, yeah. and, and, dude, that's obviously been – that was the huge flaw last year, just being right. honest, look how terrible they were compared to – I mean, it's just it's night and day difference. If he was forced upon him, then I am super, super happy for him because he is he's an awesome dude. I loved him yeah. when he was at Utah, and I'm genuinely – Genuinely happy for him. This is this is the hypothetical world I wanted to venture into. I forgot to bring this up last week, but after the Arizona game, when you said, holy cow, this BYU team is capable of great things with a defensive coordinator that they never had the last two years, and you realize Jamal Williams and Taysom Hill, both of them balling out. If they're, I mean, Jamal Williams balling out. He's a starter, all that. Taysom Hill, for where his expectations were, he's killing it. You know, the backup quarterback, the expected eventual starter. Those two are talented individuals. And you look at that and say, look at look at how well that 2016 season was because of those two. Now imagine you happen to have a situation or a scenario where you have Jeff Grimes and those two. And then you consider in 2016 it was only a few losses. What, four losses by eight points? Something like I mean they were right there in every game. You pair up the Jeff Grimes with the – I mean, this is your what you're dreaming of right now, saying let's get things clicking at the same time. Let's get a decent offense with our superior defense. I'm thinking if, if BYU could have had Jeff Grimes, Jamal Williams, Taysom Hill all at the same time, the, man, that could have been awesome. But then you continue thinking that, and you think, okay, they run the table 2016 – then everybody hates us because we're not getting in the playoffs. And then all the fans are going to complain about it. And then it's going to look like we're petty. And it's just it's like, you know what, maybe it's fine that that didn't happen because whatever. <laughs> Dude, hypothetical games, though, like you're saying, I play those all the time in every sport every year. Yeah. And, dude, like, I mean, I think about basketball – like it, it, when the Utes made their run in the 90s, they were so close in so many different times to winning a freaking national championship. Mm. If Andre Miller doesn't hurt his wrist his his sophomore year and Keith Van Horn's or yeah. his sophomore year and Keith Van Horn's senior year, dude, we're freaking national champions. Yeah. If 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 Rick Majerus takes out Andre Miller and gives him a two minute rest in the championship game against Kentucky instead of leaving him in so he doesn't run out of gas, we're national champions. So yeah, yeah. dude, you're talking. I I do this all the time still to this day. The last twenty years. Let's let's bring it back to a non hypothetical. You have Utah has a pure pocket passer, looks talented, looks gifted, waiting in the wings. That's what they needed tonight. Do we see him next next game? I mean it's gonna be a long two weeks. Do, do we see him? If you're the head coach, do we I, see him? I was talking about this with my brothers, okay? Because <sighs> I, I hate to be the guy that's always calling for the backup quarterback, mm-hmm. but the fact is our quarterback isn't effective enough to win games, Yeah. period. I'm sorry. He may be a nice guy, and he may be athletic or whatever you freaking see in him, but he's not, athlete, he's not good enough to win us games. And if you go to Jack Tuttle, could it really be that much worse? We've scored one offensive touchdown yeah. in each of the last two games. Could it be that much worse? And by going to Jack Tuttle, a guy that can't run the ball, you are forcing the ball into Zach Moss's hands, which is our best player yeah, anyway. Absolutely. So there's none of this redraw or these this zone read crap because he can't do it. So if you want a running play, you're forced to giving it to the running back who's our best player anyway. Where it so yes, be going. it yes. is long overdue yeah. to go to, to someone like Jack Tuttle. I know Jason Shelley's quote-unquote the backup. 
And I don't know if they just named him that just to keep him happy, but I, I don't care. He's a true freshman. This day and age, true freshmen can win games. You look at Alabama, oh, yeah. and I know for crap's sake we're not Alabama and we don't have the same talent, but still, they bring a true freshman in the middle of the championship game, yeah. and he throws the game-winning touchdown? Yeah. Give me a break. Let's bring it. Let's bring Jack Tuttle you, in. You don't even I've seen to... enough of Tyler Huntley to know he can't win us games. You, you don't even have to go as far as Alabama. BYU today used a ton of freshmen. Let's not overlook. They were without Butch Pau and without Braden Elbakri, like two key players in this amazing upset, which is incredible. But receivers, they were using Gunnar Romney a lot. Uh, they brought in quite a few of their defensive linemen. They were rotating in true freshmen. They got a lot of people involved, which I love. I love for so many reasons. I love number one. For what that means for the future, that means we've got experienced guys who know how to play, who know how to win. That's great just in and of itself. But number two, I love that as a recruiting pitch, that when you sit down with mom and dad and you say, come play with us, it doesn't matter. Normally you can say, yeah, we're not very good. You'll play right away because you're better than what we're used to. And I don't want to have that approach. I want to have the approach of come play with us and we will use you because we use everybody. And I love that. So, yeah, they certainly can make a difference. Now, it, coaches don't do this, so I don't expect Utah to do this. But if I'm given the $3 million salary and I'm you know, flown to Salt Lake City this week to take over the program, we're doing that. And we're not only bringing in Tuttle and getting him the experience and getting him used to QB1 reps. I'm moving Huntley. He's way too talented to keep off the field. And he maybe won't like that. He'll maybe hate that. But you know what? He's, he's a baller. He's athletic. Get him in there somewhere. If he's going to be in the in the NFL, he's not going to be in the NFL as a quarterback. He's going to be no, in the NFL as something else. Not. It's it's far obviously past that at this point. And here's the thing: is we know that Witt's not averse to replacing quarterbacks because you look just last year, you had Troy Williams yeah. who was coming back as a senior who won nine games as a junior, including wins against UCLA and USC with a last-minute drive against USC, and they benched him for the young up-and-coming Tyler Huntley. Yeah. Okay? Well, guess what? Huntley's a junior now, and he should be further along than he is now, mm-hmm. so it's time to pull him. There is no reason to have Tuttle sit. I know people are going to hear that and think I'm just calling for the backup quarterback. No, dude. We need someone like Tuttle who is a pocket passer and can give the ball to the running backs, okay? That's what we need. Half a dozen plays tonight, that soft touch is all the difference in the world. And if you add on that, and again, you don't want to put Tom Brady expectations on a true freshman, but keep your freaking receivers safe. You know, a, a, a true pocket passer that looks at the field, knows where to put the ball, does that. And if Tuttle is what he's hyped to be, that's that. That's what you need. Even if he's not what he's hyped to be. I mean, he was given scholarship offers by USC and Alabama, so obviously he has talent. Yeah. Even if he's half of what he's hyped to be, it's better than the production we're getting now. Huntley is a junior, and he's regressing just like Travis Wilson regressed, just like Jordan Wynn regressed. And you know what, Benji? This is what it comes back to ultimately. My fear is that Kyle Whittingham, like I said, I want to be a billionaire. I can't figure out how. Kyle Whittingham wants to fix the offense. He just can't. And if that's what we're stuck with, we're stuck with a brilliant defensive mind. We're stuck with an organized head coach and an offense that can't can't do it. So if we're going to have an offense that can't do it, let's have an offense that's tr- that, that focuses on the running backs at least. And mm-hmm. it highlights our, our best players and not some spread offense from a quarterback that can't run it. Yeah, yeah. So if you're Harlan, you're the athletic director. You get Wood out of there, or do you say we're gonna we're gonna step in and we're gonna say I'm gonna give the offensive coordinator complete separate control of you know don't let Wit touch the offense. I mean, that's that's a tough nut to crack. 
It's so hard, bro, because he's been here for 15 years and he's been successful. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. He's been a really dang good head coach. Yeah. But he's the, the the offensive problems are what's keeping us from being a great freaking head coach, you know? But, I mean, we win games, dude. Yeah. We've won. I mean, he averages almost nine wins a season and doing it in the Pac-12 and doing it for 15 years. And let's not forget, he took us to our highest heights we'd ever been, mm-hmm. higher than what Urban Meyer took us. Right. Yes, Urban Meyer had us an undefeated season in the Fiesta Bowl, but Kyle Whittingham did the exact same thing four years later with a tougher schedule and playing a tougher team in the Sugar Bowl. Yeah. So he took us to our highest heights. He's successful. I, I just It's so frustrating because it's such a huge albatross around his neck. The fact that we cannot even put a semi-competent offense together. The numbers bear it out, man. Mm-hmm. In the Pac-12, we've never been higher than ninth. Yeah. Ninth. And, and we have a defense that's always in the top three. Give us an offense that's like five or six, and we're competing. We're winning the, the South title. Yeah. It's just so frustrating. Not to be overlooked in his accomplishments, he's made – the Utah head coaching job an attractive job and that's that's something where if I'm a Utah fan I take comfort in that that if and when the day comes that either he decides to step down or he's forced out maybe you don't maybe it's not such a gamble now of course anytime you change it is a gamble it might backfire and that's not an easy thing to recover from too I mean this is the the biggest thing that kills me as a BYU fan was seeing throughout the season last year commit after commit after commit saying I'm going somewhere else and, and most of them, I think, ended up going to Utah. But you, it, that's the risk, is you have one or two yeah. down years, it can spiral, and it can be amplified. That effect, that rolling of the dice, it can't just – sometimes it just bites you once. Sometimes it bites you over and over and over again, and it's about – Well, you look at Nebraska. Nebraska yeah. is a perfect example. Yeah. Frank Solich was going 9-4 and four or 9-3 and three uh-huh. in the Big 12, and they fired him, and they've, they've been – Terrible ever since, you know. Yeah. You look at Colorado. Colorado was in the '90s winning national championships and doing awesome, and they just they made a few bad hires, and they haven't fully been able to dig out. Yeah, it is. It's a risk. That's that's always what's holding me back. It's like, dude, do you fire this coach who literally? I mean, he took us from the Mountain West into the Pac-12, got us competitive, then got us competing for titles and wins a lot of games. You, you can't really fire that guy right. who's going to the bowl every year, winning eight or nine or ten games. Yeah, you know, yeah. but by the same token, he has a huge problem, which is his offense is so bad, and he he churns through offensive coordinators, but it never gets fixed. Yeah, at what point do you stop looking at these ten coordinators and blaming them? You know, at some point you got to look at the head coach and say you're the problem. Yeah, and that's what's holding us back is is we're just close enough, but just. We can't get over that hump because our offense is so bad, and it's worse this year. The offense I've seen so far this year is the worst offense I've seen in freaking seven, eight years in this since we've been in this league. It's terrible. Yeah, it's well, and they made a point of this tonight talking about it on TV. I want to naturally jump in and say it's a long season, but it's not. There, there's. I, I kind of laughed when they pointed this out. Of all of the major sports, this is the shortest season there is. There's only it there's is, not, dude. Not it, a the lot season's of already. Already 25% over, and it just started. The season is a quarter over, and it just started. Now, that being said, okay, now here's the optimistic me coming out, okay? The South in the Pac-12 is an absolute disaster. Absolute disaster. USC got annihilated by Texas. Mm -hmm. UCLA got annihilated by – I can't remember who they were playing. Who were they playing? I can't even remember because I haven't played the scores. Uh, Texas. Uh, No, that was USC. Oh, I thought you said USC. 
UCLA got beat by uh, I can't even remember who now. I apologize. Yeah, no, but they right. got beat big time. Uh, Arizona State. I think they lost to San Diego State. They're losing. Last I checked, right before we started this. Yeah. Um, in the South is a disaster. So that being said, still open. If we can somehow freaking fix the offense, I'm not saying fix it, make it potent, because that'll never freaking happen. <laughs> but if we can make it to where we're not dropping balls, throwing 800 mile hour fastballs yeah. on fourth and two, and if we can focus on getting our NFL running back the ball, I think we still can win the South because Washington. And Stanford are the two best teams we'll play this year. Yeah. Both North teams, mm-hmm. both early on. If we can, if we can, if we can fix this, I think we can still win the South. Yeah. It's just so frustrating because I bought the hype. I do this every offseason. Mm-hmm. All I heard in the camp was, "Oh my gosh, these receivers are catching everything." Oh my gosh, Tyler Huntley's freaking locked in and he looks amazing. And dude, none of that's true. Not only is none of it true, it's worse. It's freaking worse than it was last year. And yeah. the only player out there doing anything competent is our five foot eight, hundred sixty eight pound Utah County white boy. Okay. Yeah. He's the only one that can do anything. And, by the way, he's going to get murdered if it keeps going the way it's oh, going. He, he, how many more games like this can he have this year? He it, Two? And then he's he's in a wheelchair after that. I mean, that dude, literally. I mean, literally he will be broken. Yeah. Because he can't, he can't keep taking the hits. And, dude, I, I, it's just, it sucks because he's so electric and so fun, but we're not getting him the ball in the right spots to, to show yeah. off his, his talent. You know, he's getting the ball – in the open field when there's a safety bearing down 40 miles an hour, two inches behind him, yeah. and boom, destroys him. And I mean, that's the thing. If, if if it were up to me, I would put in Tuttle, and I would hand freaking Zach Moss, Brumfield, and TJ Green the ball 60 times a game oh, yeah. between the three of them. Yeah. And then you have a court, and then you know do play action. You have a quarterback that can, that can throw it. What's the risk? Seriously, what's the risk? It can't get worse. One touchdown against Washington. One offensive touchdown against NIU. It can't get worse. Yeah, it can't get worse. Uh, it's Ugh. it's a good time to after a game like this to really sit down and revamp the whole thing. Uh, again, I don't expect you, anyone to do this because coaches don't do this. But shoot, imagine next next two weeks later, you got to buy next week, right? Yep. Who do you face? Yep. Who do you face in two weeks? Uh, at Wazoo. Okay, so you show up there, return the kickoff, first down, off of the sideline comes Jack Tuttle, comes Tyler Huntley, comes Zach Moss. Tuttle's lined up under center. He's got each of those guys over each shoulder behind him. I, I would love that. If I'm a B- or a, if I'm a Utah fan, I'm going to buy in at that point and say, all right, they're shaking things up. They've put some thought into it. They're trying something different. That's all you can expect. You can't expect the coaches yep. to catch the ball. You can't expect the coaches to not throw it 90 miles an hour. You can expect yep. them to try something different, to say, we tried this, it didn't work, let's try this and see if it works. And I think they will because they did that with Travis Wilson. They brought him as a freshman and started it, started him midway through the season at UCLA. Yeah. And they'd, ha- they'd had enough of John Hayes. And I-, I-, I wouldn't be surprised if they do something because, like I said, it literally can't get worse, man. Yeah. It can't get worse than what we saw the last two weeks on offense. It cannot get worse. So here's what I was thinking about after the BYU game. I was thinking about how BYU, they go into Wisconsin – they, uh, uh, it wasn't a fluke, but I week in week out, I was again jumping into the hypothetical world we love to jump into. If BYU and Wisconsin only play each other every week for ten weeks, BYU wins two of those. I think maybe a third if they're lucky out of ten. You know, I don't. They're not. They're not better than Wisconsin. They won the game. They earned it. But I, I, the, it was the way they played, the way the team came together, and I thought about that 
glorious USA hockey team they made the movie about. Remember when they made that team? They did not yep. take the best players. The The coach went through and said, we, we don't care if you're the best player or not. You, you're obviously at this level. We want to know who can play together. BYU went in under-talented, and they played as a team. They played their hearts out. They played for each other. And then the coolest thing of all, of everything today, seeing them jumping to jump around on the sideline. I saw through the week in Twitter, they were practicing with that song blaring all week. That was their song this week. They owned that song. So when Wisconsin played it right before the fourth quarter, BYU's team is going nuts, jumping around. And you can do that when you're winning. And uh, and it was just awesome to see. And the coaches talked about it postgame. They said, not only were we dialed in and focused and everything went right and we did everything right, this was a fun game. And you could see that. The players were having so much fun. The, one of the coolest things, Corbin Kafusi postgame says, that final play, that field goal, he was next to Taki Taki, who, by the way, my biggest fear of this game, I thought, I don't know exactly what the rules are. There may be some loophole. Taki Taki might get drafted in the NFL at halftime and not be available for the second half. I mean, that guy was bawling out. He was on, on every play the first half. He had all the tackles. I mean, he was everywhere. This guy, you couldn't ask for a better game from Taki Taki. So final play, they're running at the line, trying to get a hand up, block the field goal. Kafusi said Taki Taki was just screaming like a madman, just like, Rah! just as they're running in that. And it's just like what you'd picture in the movies, like the movie Miracle. But I love how BYU came together as a team that's coaching, that's good coaching. Uh, it's players that love each other. It's players that are proud to represent who they represent. And it's players that, that play for each other. And I love it. And that's, again, not to... I, I always hate Twitter after games like this or days like this because when you got one fan base that's on cloud nine and another fan base that's like thinking of deleting their accounts because of how miserable the experience <laughs> is, people fight. And that's why I was a little worried about recording when everything's so raw because I thought I'm the happiest I've ever been and you're not. But to compare the two, you, that's what's missing from Utah. They were not playing for each other. and They're not gelling. They're talented. You look at the stars, of course Utah has the talented. They need to get on the same page. They need to find their reason to play. And if they come together, if they're all on the same page out there, they could, they're unstoppable. And speaking of unstoppable, looking at the rest of BYU's schedule, this was the game we all had circled as the loss. This was the hardest game. And that's what I kept telling my kids to try and get them to understand why we're lighting fireworks and running around in the front yard like idiots. I said, BYU just won the hardest game of the year. And that tells the fans, the team, everybody, there's no game left on the schedule that's not winnable. And, and I love that. They, they're capable of these great things. Uh, I feel like Utah just needs to find that. Yeah, you know, and, and, and um, uh, I think for you, I think this is actually even bigger than beating Oklahoma for two reasons. One, you went into Camp Randall, into their backyard, mm-hmm. and 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 handled them at at basically their game, man. You guys ran it when you wanted to. So one, you went into their backyard, but two, with the Oklahoma game, you always kind of had that asterisk. But yeah, Bradford got hurt. He did. You know, Bradford got hurt at halftime. You could you could you could always kind of wonder, well, would we would we have beat them with Bradford got hurt? You didn't have to worry about this game. Yeah. Their guys didn't get There's- hurt. You just stopped them from start to finish. So this, to me, if I were you, yeah. 
I would I would look at this as a bigger win, even though Wisconsin's not the, not as big a brand, brand name as Oklahoma. They're still a brand name, you know. Well, and they're still a top ten team. Yeah. So I would look at this if I were you as a bigger win than that Oklahoma. A, win. a lot of people have been talking about where it ranks, and you've got you know you got number one Miami that they beat, and you've got a number three Pitt that they beat to start off their national championship year. Then you got Michigan that they beat to seal the deal. You've got uh, that Oklahoma game's in the mix, and then uh, there's one or two others out there. I'd I'd count the Kansas State game up there just because. It was such a marquee win. So I see this about the level of six or seven, you know, top win for the program. However, I'm going to hold off on on writing that in ink until the end of the year. If Wisconsin can go out and show up in the the Big Ten championship game and and represent the Big Ten, you know, go to a New Year's Six game, yeah, absolutely, this is there. And and I don't think I'm not counting them out. They're a good team. You know, I think they're still capable of that. This isn't one of those things where, like Texas, the year we beat them and they were ranked really high, that was the first in a series of years where Texas starts out ranked and then they're not that good. So this is up there. And, dude, and and the thing is, you said it last podcast, man. You said the thing about sports is you never know. You and I both said, and we're predicting 20, 25-point losses. Yeah. To Wisconsin, right? Yeah. You never really know, dude. And that's the thing is you is you don't know because honestly, not who do you play next week? Uh, McNeese State. <laughs> okay, not next week. Who do you play after that? Uh, I think after that is Washington. Maybe uh, I'll have to look okay. at my schedule. I'll so get it in yeah, my phone, you could go out and 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 lose to Washington. I mean, you look at last week, Cal, dude. You guys look your offense looked terrible against Cal. Yeah. You had your one offensive touchdown, right? Yeah. And and. But then, boom, next week you go to freaking Camp Randall yeah. and win. Right. You know, So that's the thing is you never know. You're right. The season isn't written, and that's why I still have a little bit of hope for Utah because our defense is still legit. It is still legit. I mean, after that first drive against Washington, they we, we held them, you know, we yeah. held them pretty good after that. Um, and, dude, I just – okay, let, let me just kind of veer off one thing here and make another point. Yeah. This whole targeting rule, oh, I haven't yeah. brought up the refs yet oh, yeah. because I don't think the refs have decided this uh, at all. That, okay? That's an episode that in and of itself. We could go off for another but hour. But this about targeting rule is an absolute joke, and I understand they're trying to make the game safer. That's fine. Yeah. But you look at that huge, huge swing where we intercepted Browning mm-hmm. when it's 14-7, yeah. and they called targeting on the quarterback. The replay showed the linebacker went low, and Lecky Fotu did what you're taught to do. He put his face mask in his chest, and the top of his helmet grazed Browning's freaking face mask. Yeah. That's all it did, and they call the targeting. I understand legitimate spearing calls where you're like intentionally hitting dude with your helmet, but incidental contact yeah. like that when you're getting rustled around is ridiculous, and it, you shouldn't call that crap. That yeah. was a game-freaking-changing call. We picked them off. We got the ball down 14-7, but no, they go down 15 yards. We lose our one of our best defensive linemen, mm-hmm. and they score a touchdown to go up 27. That was ball game right there here's, on a stupid, stupid call. Here's the problem. Uh, here's how it unfolded. The ref's initial angle, that – obviously looked like a more vicious hit than it was. I think if the ref had that perfect angle, the flag never comes out. So I think from the angle he was at, it looked like helmet-to-helmet, head-to-head, vicious, brutal hit. I mean, Browning on the ground, his helmet was kind of jarred loose, and and that probably was his head hitting the ground. You know, So from the ref's angle and his point of view, yeah, you throw the flag. Looking at it on the replay, they're taught, that if it's even close, if it's a question, if the helmet touches all, it's a. You know, I think the language is when in doubt, it's it's targeting. You know, if you're not sure, it's targeting, and and I kind of hate that. Now we were talking a lot about on on Twitter. We had this whole big conversation going. 
personally, what I want to see, let's focus more on the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is we don't want a player to die in the middle of a game. Number two, we don't want a player to just forget everything when he's my age. You know, like we, we got to keep their head safe. This is 2018. We have the technology. Sure, it'll cost a little bit more, but when you compare it to the lawsuits the NFL is dealing with, this is money well spent investing in it. Put some sensors in the helmets. I mean, you got the the Apple Watch now that will call 911 if an old lady falls down wearing it. Get one of those little chips in every helmet. It doesn't even have to be every helmet they use in practice, just every game helmet. Let's measure the impact. Let's measure the force. And then coach the kids up saying, hey, don't kill anyone out there. You know, watch the heads. Yeah. If you're running full speed and he doesn't see you coming, slow down a little bit. You're going to tackle him anyway. You know, you could slow down and save his life and make sure that he can think about where he left his keys when he's 40. You know, we don't have to kill each other out there. And if you just teach yeah. the spirit of the law and let's use sensors, use some little gyroscopes or whatever. I mean, I think there's a, a way we can technologically make the game safer. And that's what I'd love to see. Let's get rid of this. Technically, it was targeting. Technically, it wasn't. You know, let the let the computers figure it out. Yeah, and there's so many calls where it's like, or so many times where it's like, sometimes there's just nothing you can do. Like a receiver just stumbles right before you get to him, mm-hmm. you know. And and what's the defensive back supposed to do? It's just like dive at his knees. Well, then you got knee problems. Right, like right. it's just the whole targeting thing needs to be revamped because questionable stuff like that it changed the entire freaking game. It that that place was electric after the pick. Yeah, it was crazy. It's fourteen seven at that point. And oh man, it's just so frustrating. I hate. That. I got it. I mean, the the refs did not did not. Let me just clarify: did not affect this game to where that's the reason they won or lost. The reason they won or lost because we have an inept freaking offense. Mm. Okay, but still, I'm just so frustrated with the whole targeting thing. It's like because you could. There were several times where you could have reviewed a couple of Covey's tackles, and, it, yeah. and I, I guarantee head helmets collided. Oh, but they yeah. just didn't review it. Like it makes no sense. Yeah. I got to throw this out there because it was my best tweet of the day. It went it went the most viral. I just threw out there. I said, can you imagine losing two defensive players to questionable targeting calls at Rice Eccles Stadium? I'm, I see you're pretty proud of yourself for that one. <laughs> I am. It was great. I was like, the funny thing is I was holding. Everything's great when you win. It I is. hate you. No, I'm holding my baby boy who's adorable. My my little kid Isaiah, he's uh, he's going to turn one next month. And he's just the cutest. And today, this week, his thing is he's been playing with my hat. Every time I'm holding him and I'm wearing a hat, he takes it off and laughs. And it's just the perfect thing. Anyway, I'm holding him when that when that second one happens, the Lakey Fotu one. And I'm like, oh, I got a tweet. I'm like, you know, the idea, this is when inspiration strikes. I'm like, and so I hand him to Melissa, my wife. I'm like, hey, you got to hold him. I got to tweet. And so I put that out there. And then by the time I pick him up, it's been retweeted two or three times. And I'm like, yeah, that was worth it. Yeah, I hate you. <laughs> I am not in the mood to laugh at your jokes right now. Oh, man. Uh, no, but the point, right, of that hey, is, the point of that is we feel your pain. We feel your pain because when we were there, that happened to us, and it's terrible. And now you, now we all agree, and we can like sing Kumbaya and be like, yeah, targeting sucks when it's questionable at that place, and you lose guys. <laughs> I'm still not in the mood. <laughs> all right, bro, let's do this. Let's let's wrap this up. We'll do a, another one on Tuesday when emotions are a little more even keeled, and I can we can think straight. I just wanted to get a post game 
uh, just, just yeah. recap out because I was so angry. This was and good. So fired up, and this has been cathartic for me. So now I can go to Bishopric meeting tomorrow, and I can focus on the needs of the ward. Yeah, and you know, and and feel the spirit tomorrow, and not be. Well, I'll probably still be angry. In fact, dude, I don't. It's, I don't even know what time it is, but I promise you, I probably won't fall asleep to at least three or four in the morning. <laughs> what, what I'm hearing is next Tuesday we will have a full hour focusing on nothing but BYU and McNeese State preview coverage. Oh, it'll be amazing. I cannot wait. <laughs> this is good. All right. Oh. Tune in next time, whenever that is and whatever we talk about. Probably next Tuesday. All right, brother. We'll still still go you. Go Cougars. Great day.